And welcome, everybody. I'm so glad you're here, whether you're in the room with us or watching online right now. We are certainly glad that you are here. Great time of worship this morning. Now we get to just keep it going by worshiping God by looking at his word. So if you've got your Bibles, you can turn to the book of Acts. We will be there this morning. And we're just in our second week of this. We're just getting started. If you're new here, you you caught us at the beginning of this thing. And it's going to be a great run through the book of Acts. I'm already enjoying it so much. I hope you are as well. I did want to make a note right here at the beginning of the service. There's a lot of stuff that we're praying for in our church. And this week, actually, the elders all went out to the prayer wall in the lobby and prayed over all the prayer requests out there. Of course, we also have online prayer requests that come in and a prayer list that we send around and all of that. But I wanted to just mention, if you want to, you can go back into the lobby and there's a, there are a bunch of pieces of paper there with pens that you can write a prayer request on and put it up on the prayer wall. And then anybody in the church can walk by and pray for whatever your request is. So it could be something that's anonymous. It could be something where you put your name on there, but we are actively praying over those things. Please feel free to take advantage of it. And there's situations going on in the church right now, a bunch of things uh, that, that we're praying for, and we want to make sure that we're doing that for each other. So I just wanted to remind you that that's available for you. So to kick off uh, today's message, I wanted to share a little story about last year. My wife and I, we got away for a little bit. We took a trip to Phoenix, Arizona. It was in uh, January, which is the best time to go to Phoenix, Arizona, if you're from St. Louis. And so we got to experience the 90 degree temperatures and go hiking around Arizona, which was super fun. And the last day of our trip, my wife was up early in the morning and she figured out that if we left then, we could make it in time to go see the Grand Canyon, which was a, a good drive away, and get back in time for our flight. So that's what we did. We threw everything in the car. We headed up to uh, the Grand Canyon, made our way from the 90-degree temperatures of Phoenix through the mid-20s and, and snow of Flagstaff, and then finally to the breezy and chilly Grand Canyon, which was, of course, amazing. And then we made it back in time for our flight. But on the way there, we passed through this sort of mountain mountainous range where it was just this thick and heavy fog. Have you ever driven through something like that? Such a thick fog that you can't see the road signs in front of you. You can't even really see the lines on the road. And so you're just very slowly, carefully, hyper-focused, trying to make sure that you're going the right way. Now, we did have a little bit of an advantage because, of course, we had GPS. So even though we couldn't see through the fog to make choices about where to go, GPS was telling us, you're still on the road, you're, you're on the right path. You didn't miss your turn. There's a turn coming up because I couldn't see anything. It was just so foggy. And I am actually old enough to remember, believe it or not, back when we didn't have GPS. And in fact, I, I thought GPS was just for you know, lazy, stupid people. But you know, now I use it all the time. But we had those giant, big atlases. Do you remember those? And I'm not even talking about the fold-out ones. I had those too. But the big books where it's like you got to keep it under the seat. And when it's time to figure out where you need to turn, you have to stop off the side of the road, especially if you're by yourself, and pull out this huge book and just flip through it to find the state you're in and go, all right, where is that? And not all the roads are on there. Imagine doing that in the fog. I did that many times where you're driving along, you can't see anything, and I have no idea where I'm going. And on your way to your destination, you, you miss like 10 turns because you just have no idea where you're going. That is what life feels like sometimes, doesn't it? Like, where are we going? And how am I supposed to get there? I can't see ahead of me. I don't know which way to go. I don't know which choice to make. And, and that's the, the title of today's message. It's wise choices in foggy conditions. Because sometimes we find ourselves in a, in a place where we need to make a decision and we're not sure what to do. And where, what do we, where do we go? What do we do? How do we know which one to choose? And that's the place that the apostles are going to find themselves in in our passage today. 
Where do we go from here? What do we choose when we don't really know what to do? Now, just to get you caught up, Jesus has died. He's risen from the dead. He spent 40 days with his 11 now apostles because Judas is gone, remember, or one of the Judases is gone. He's, he's spent time with them teaching and training them, and then he leaves. So they don't have him anymore. And Jesus' last bit of instruction to them was to go to where? Jerusalem and to wait there for the Holy Spirit who was going to come. So that was all he told them. Those are your instructions. Go to Jerusalem, wait for the Holy Spirit. And so they head to Jerusalem and they realize when they're there that we have a problem. Jesus picked 12 apostles, 12 witnesses, but one of those witnesses isn't here anymore. What should we do about that? And that's where we pick up the story in Acts chapter 1, verse 12. So if you're there in your Bible, Acts chapter 1, verse 12, let's read it here. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, a distance of half a mile. When they arrived, they went to the upstairs room of the house where they were staying. Here are the names of those who were present. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James, different Judas. They all met together and were constantly united in prayer, along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women, and the brothers of Jesus. Now, there's, there's a point here I want to make, but there's also something really cool I don't want us to miss. And if you're not really familiar with the story of Jesus, it would be very easy to miss it. So let me take you back to the Gospel of John briefly. And in John chapter 7, we read this. Jesus' brothers said to him, leave here. And go to Judea, where your followers can see your miracles. Now, that may sound like encouragement, but I can tell you it was said with great sarcasm. This was meant to mock him. They go on. You can't become famous if you hide like this. If you can do such wonderful things, show yourself to the world. For even his brothers didn't believe in him. See, they were mocking him. It actually sounds a little bit like the mockery that Jesus endured on the cross. If, if you can do such wonderful things, go ahead and do it. Save yourself. And so his brothers, they didn't believe in him. They were mocking him. And then you turn to Acts chapter 1, verse 14, and you read, they all met together, were constantly united in prayer, along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women, and the brothers of Jesus. Isn't that so cool? I mean, what an amazing transformation to go from mocking him to being his followers, united with all the other followers. I mean, what great unity they had because of that. I just think that is so amazing. I didn't want to miss that because it'd be so easy to gloss over it. But it's not really the main point I want you to get out of verse 14. Because what I want you to show you, starting in verse 14, is six steps for making wise choices in foggy conditions. Six things that if you'll remember these, it will help you when it comes time to make a difficult choice in your life when you don't have clear direction. Here in verse 14, what we see is that they were constantly in community and prayer together. Before we get to the decision, which they're going to make in a little bit, before we get to that point, you can see they're all gathering together and they're in prayer together. And that is so important, that aspect of community. You know, if you wait until there's a crisis to build community in your life, it's, it's kind of too late. You need to start there already. You need to be involved with each other in the body of Christ. Now, I know that in a room this size, it's really hard to have that close-knit community because the people over on this side of the auditorium, you don't know all the people on that side of the auditorium, do you? You probably couldn't name every one of them, I don't think. I'm seeing some honest people shaking their heads no. And the people in this service probably don't know all the people in the early service and vice versa. And we're, we haven't even started talking about the balcony people yet. I mean, nobody knows who they are. They just, they come in up there, they leave up there. You know, I'm, I'm just kidding. We love you, balcony people. We love you. But we don't know all each, each other in here, do we? 
And that's okay because this is the larger gathering of the church, just like the church did in Jerusalem and and other places. But then we need to have that smaller community, the place where we are known and know others, where we bear each other's burdens, where we can be accountable to each other and transparent, where we're praying together. We can't do that in the large group, and that's okay. We're not supposed to. We're supposed to have smaller groups. It's just what they did in the New Testament. You have the larger church, and then you have smaller groups within that church. And if you're not a part of a community here, I would encourage you, get involved in one. A great place to start is to go through Rooted. It'll, it'll sort of build that in for you. But you want to build your community and have a group of believers that you are caring for and accountable to and learning with and praying with before you get to a crisis in life where you really need it. So that's my plug for community. It's so important. And they were constantly in community and praying together. Now look at verse 15. During this time, when about 120 believers were together in one place, Peter stood up and addressed them. Brothers, he said, the scriptures had to be fulfilled concerning Judas, who guided those who arrested Jesus. This was predicted long ago by the Holy Spirit, speaking through King David. Judas was one of us and shared in the ministry with us. You know, when Judas betrayed Jesus, he he really betrayed all the apostles as well. He betrayed everybody. And it would be very easy to still hold on to a lot of bitterness and resentment and to make that the focus of their thoughts. But instead, they accepted the will of God, even though it seemed troubling, even though it was difficult, even though it wasn't something that was enjoyable. They accepted the will of God. And that's point number two. They accepted the will of God. You can see Peter getting into it here. Hey, the scriptures had to be fulfilled. This is something God predicted long ago. This is something that he allowed. And we accept this. We didn't enjoy it. It wasn't fun to go through. But now that's in the past. It happened. God allowed it to happen. God even predicted that it would happen. And so we're going to move on from there. They accepted the will of God even when it seemed troubling. You know, there are times in our life where we go through a difficult circumstance. And all we want to do is just look back on it. We just keep looking back, and God wants us to look forward. God wants us to see what's next. What's next for ministry? What's next for service? What's next for what he wants to do in our family and in our lives and in discipleship? That's what God wants us to focus on, and we just keep looking back to the past stuff. And what Peter is showing us here is he's just acknowledging the fact that, hey, that happened. God predicted it would happen, and it's, it's okay. Let's move on from here. He's just using it as context. They accepted the will of God. Then verse 18. Luke gives us a little parentheses here, a little extra information to fill in the gaps, just in case you forgot who Judas is. He says, Judas had bought a field with the money he received for his treachery that was betraying Jesus. Falling headfirst there, his body split open, spilling out all his intestines. I appreciate the attention to detail, Luke. He was a doctor after all. He wanted to get it. You know, the Bible's not always rated G, folks. So he gives us a little extra information there. Then he says, the news of his death spread to all the people of Jerusalem, and they gave the place the Aramaic name Akeldama, which means field of blood, because there was a lot of blood. Peter continued, this was written in the book of Psalms, where it says, let his home become desolate with no one living in it. It also says, let someone else take his position. This is probably a condensed version of what Peter said. Peter's making the case to the people, hey, you know how Psalms predicts what Judas would experience, but it also predicts that someone else needs to take his position. And so he's pulling some insight from that. Now, Jesus is no longer with them. They can't, they, all along, they've been turning to Jesus and saying, Jesus, what about this? What about this? What should we do? And then after he comes back from the, Jesus, are you going to build your kingdom now? Is now the time? You're going to overthrow Rome. You're going to restore the kingdom of Israel now. They're asking him questions all the time. And what does Jesus say? Hey, that's for the father to know and for you to find out. The, The dates and times are for the father and not for you. 
but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Now go to Jerusalem, wait for me. So Jesus doesn't give them all the information of what they need to know, but they're used to asking him questions all the time for everything they need to do, but he's not with them now. So what do they do? Peter has searched the scriptures and he's recognized here, hey, I think there's supposed to be a replacement for Judas. It seems like there's supposed to be another person that's gonna fill that role, but we don't know who that should be. So what do they do? And this is point number three. They looked to scripture for guiding principles. Peter is searching the scriptures in the absence of direction right now. He's searching the scriptures and he realizes, I think there's supposed to be a replacement here. Now, did Jesus say that? I don't think so. Because Jesus' instructions were go to Jerusalem, wait for the Holy Spirit. That was what he told them. If he had told them more, I think Luke would have shared that with us. But Peter has kind of figured this out by looking at scripture and saying, look, this is what the scripture said about Judas. And then the scripture says there's going to be someone to take his place. So maybe that's what we should do now. We need to find someone to take his place. And then we get to verse 21. And Peter says, so now we must choose a replacement for Judas from among the men who were with us the entire time we were traveling with the Lord Jesus. From the time he was baptized by John until the day he was taken from us, whoever is chosen will join us as a witness of Jesus' resurrection. Verse 23, so they nominated two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice. Pretty cool guy, gets three names. I mean, that's kind of neat. And then Matthias. So Barsabbas and Matthias are the two guys. Even though they didn't have clear direction on what to do, they didn't know exactly what was supposed to happen here. They actually, this is going to be point number four, they used common sense when they didn't have clear direction. They searched the scriptures. They put two and two together and said, it looks like there's supposed to be a replacement. We don't have clear direction on who that's supposed to be. So let's try to figure this out. And they worked together with a group of people and they nominated these two men. And I think this is a great model for us to follow. Because aren't there times where you struggle with making a decision in life and you're not sure what to do? And they went right to the Bible and said, are there biblical principles here that help to guide this situation? And that's a really, really important, neat thing. When we're in foggy conditions and we're not sure what to do, what does the Bible have to say about this? It's great advice for us. It's great advice for us to give to each other. And then in verse 24, they all prayed, oh Lord, you know every heart. Show us which of these men you have chosen as an apostle to replace Judas in this ministry. See, they didn't know. They believed from the Bible that there was going to be a replacement. They had no idea who it was supposed to be. And so now they are asking, God, would you show us who is supposed to be this replacement for Judas in this ministry? For he has deserted us and gone where he belongs. So they got a little jab in there. They're still a little, you know, upset at him. They didn't just come up with a good plan here, though. They took action on it. They took action on it and they prayed for God's wisdom and will in their decision. They said, this is what the Bible says. We're all going to work together to nominate some people that we think are good options. And then we're going to pray that God helps us to make the right choice here. Those are three pieces of input to keep in mind when you're trying to make wise decisions in foggy conditions. You have the biblical principles. You have the wise counsel of other people and you have prayer. And a lot of times we will do one or two of those things and miss the third. We don't do all three. Sometimes we pray about it and we think we have a good idea. And I have talked to so many people like this who say, you know, I prayed about it and I really think I should do this thing. And I go, that's not biblical. You have to search the scriptures to make sure that the thing that you walked out of your prayer time with isn't just your own interpretation, but it actually is, is clear and approved in the word of God. And if it violates some biblical principle, then that was not God that you were hearing in your prayer time. 
So you've got to be careful about that. And, and I just demonstrated the third aspect too, which is someone coming for wise counsel and saying, hey, I've searched the scriptures. I think this is what God says. I prayed about it. I think this is what I should do. What do you think I should do? Should I go do this thing? And, and that wise counsel can say to you, yeah, I don't see any reason why not. And other times they might say, are you crazy? That's a terrible idea. And then you have to weigh the wise counsel and determine, okay, what, or what they're saying, is this something I should follow, something I should listen to? But you need all three. You need biblical principles, you need uh, prayer, and you need wise counsel from other people who you trust to follow. So this is what they did. They, they searched the scriptures, they prayed about it, they worked together to come up with a solution, and they identified these two people that they thought could be the replacement. Now, if I had been in their shoes, I probably would have been like, man, these are two great guys. I can't decide between them. I guess we're going to be the 13 now. You know, like, let's let them both in. But somehow, one of these guys was going to have to be humble enough to be selected for the possibility, but then not selected for the actual position. And I think that also just shows these are probably just really mature men of God to be elevated to this possibility, but no, only one of them will be selected. But that brings us to a very difficult question. How do you choose? If they're both great people, they were both nominated by the, the group of, of believers that were there, and there's no clear winner between them, how are they going to pick one of these people? There must be some, like, you know, heavens open up and God's hand comes down and goes, this one right here, you know? Like, that's what we want to happen, but that's not what happens. They prayed and asked God for wisdom. They got no specific response. And we know they got no specific response because you look at the next verse, verse 26. How did they decide? They cast lots. They cast lots. They, they left it to what would appear from the outside to be chance. We would say they flipped a coin. I can't pick between these two good options. We're just going to pray about it, ask God to work through it, and we're going to flip a coin. And Matthias was selected to become an apostle with the other 11. Now, I want to pause here for a minute to say, does this mean that all of us need to go out and like buy some lots so that every time we're making a decision, we can just cast them and, and pick the one and see which it is? Or maybe carry some dice with us or have a flipping coin and just every time we make a decision, it looks like that's the way God wants us to make decisions. No, because remember last week we said, Acts is description, not prescription. This was a very normal way to make decisions back then if you didn't know what to choose. And I don't think there's anything wrong with it. They didn't know which one was better, so they just decided we're going to allow the lots to determine who it is, and we're going to trust that if God has a selection here, he's going to choose the right one that's going to replace Judas. And so they pray, and they cast lots, and what I think we learn from this is not that we're supposed to always make decisions this way, but what it shows us is that the apostles did not have some supernatural knowledge of who this was supposed to be. And I don't know about you, but that's very encouraging for me because there are times in my life where I'm trying to make a decision and I just don't know what to do. This seems good. That seems good. Which one should I do? And to know that the apostles who were just with Jesus had the special internship with Jesus for three years had the same kind of issue where they reached a point and they said, we don't know what to do. We're just going to flip a coin. And that's how we're going to make one of the most important decisions of all time. Who's the 12th apostle? That's very encouraging to me. These were not superhumans. These were people that often lacked knowledge and information and lacked direction, clear direction in life, just like you and I do. And sometimes lacking clear direction can be debilitating. You can have paralysis of choice 
where you're just not sure what to do. And if you follow the example of these guys, they said, we're just gonna pick one however we can and we're gonna trust that God is gonna work with it. That's point number six. They made a decision and they took action. They didn't wait around and say, well, I guess we're just gonna not do anything about it. They believed from scripture that there needed to be a replacement and they took action to, to make it happen. And they prayed and they trusted God and they did it in community and they did it with biblical insight. You know, there's a similar story in Acts chapter 16 that, that has to do with decision-making and not always having clear direction and not knowing what to do. And I thought long and hard this week about whether or not to share it with you because we are actually going to be covering Acts 16 next June. And then I realized there's no way you're going to remember this. So I'm basically just sort of prepping my message for June now, and I'll share it with you today, and I'll share it with you again come the next June, and, and then hopefully again you'll be like, wow, that's a great point. I've never heard that before. <laughs> so, so here's what happened, and I've actually shared this before, so this won't be new to everybody. Paul is trying to figure out how to complete his mission. He knows his mission from God is to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, to be the apostle to the Gentiles, to preach the gospel where it's never been heard before. And so he decides that he is going to take his group of people and gather supplies and set out on a journey north to a place called Bithynia. And he gets partway along the way to Bithynia when God stops him and says, I don't want you to go to Bithynia. I've got another plan for you. I'm not going to tell you what it is right now, but that's not where I want you to go. Now, this is very interesting to me. Because Paul went through all the trouble to get everything ready and tell his team, hey guys, we're going up to Bithynia and they get partway along the way to the journey and God could have stopped them at any point. God could have said before they even set out on the journey, oh, don't waste your energy on that, Paul. I've got something else for you. But he didn't. He let Paul make a choice and let him get partway there before he redirected them. That's very interesting to me. It tells me a couple of things. It tells me that Paul did not expect that God was always going to give him exactly clear direction on where to go. Sometimes God expected Paul to just make a wise choice and God would work through that and redirect him. It also tells me that Paul remained open to God's redirection even as he made those choices. He didn't get so locked in on Bithynia that it's like, no, God, I have to go there. No, he remained open to God's redirection. That's very interesting to me. It also tells me that for some reason, God allowed him to get part of the way on this journey before redirecting him. Now, why is that? I don't know. Is that so that this story would be written down and you and I would have a better idea of how God works with us? Maybe. Is that because there were some people along the way God wanted Paul and his team to meet? I don't know. Is that because the path directly to where they were really going to head next was a place God didn't want them to go? I don't know. I think that sometimes God allows us to move in a certain direction where we think this is our destination and he actually wants us over there, but it's okay for us to get part of the way and then be redirected. And we don't have to feel like that's a failure. If we make a choice and we find out later that even though it seemed like a good, godly, biblical choice, and we searched the scriptures and we prayed about it and we got wise counsel and we moved in that direction and then the door closes on us, we don't have to feel like that was a failure any more than Paul should feel like that was a failure. You know what happened next? The spirit of Jesus Christ stops Paul, says, I don't want you to go there. And, and Paul and his team, we, we don't know if he told them where to go next, but they just, they go to Troas, which is a port city. So they probably just decided, all right, we don't know where God wants us. This is a nice central location. We can get to a lot of places from there. They go to Troas. And in Troas, they get the, Paul gets the vision of the man from Macedonia. And that's what sends Paul and his team to Europe to bring the gospel to Europe. That's where God wanted them to go. Now, did he give Paul the roadmap of where exactly he was going to end up? No, but he redirected him as Paul made choices and steps. And sometimes he gave him very clear instruction, like that vision, and sometimes he didn't. 
And that's okay. And I think the fact that that's included for us is such a powerful thing for us to understand. They didn't always have superhuman direction, but they used wisdom and common sense. And they searched the scriptures and they prayed about it and they remained open to where God would redirect them. I think that's such a beautiful thing for us to learn. And it should relieve a lot of anxiety for us as we're making choices. If you're faced with a choice today and you are wrestling with which one's the right one because there doesn't seem to be a clear answer and you've searched the scriptures and you don't see one that's a bad choice and you've sought wise counsel and no one's told you, yeah, this one's terrible, this one's good. And you've prayed about it and you don't have any clear direction from God. Then if you're following the example of the apostles, including the apostle Paul, then you might just say, all right, I'm going to pick one. And you know what? I'm going to pray about it and I'm going to flip a coin. I'm going to pick one and, and I'm going to take steps in that direction. But along the way, I'm going to remain open and prayerful that God will redirect me if it's not where he wants me to go. And I actually think that's a very biblical way to make decisions when you don't have clear direction, making wise choices in foggy conditions. Now, can I throw a wrench into this whole thing? Can I really mess you up at the end? It is possible that Matthias was not the 12th apostle. Right? I actually don't think Matthias was God's chosen 12th apostle. After everything we've been through, how can that be? Let me show you why I think that is. First of all, let's talk about why it even matters. In the end, in the New Jerusalem, John says in Revelation 21, the wall of the city had 12 foundation stones, and on them were written the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Apostles of the Lamb, 12 of them. Judas lost his place. Who's the replacement? Is it Matthias or is it someone else? The apostles thought that it was on them to pick a replacement. Was it really? I don't know, but I don't think so. Because I think the 12th apostle of the Lamb was actually the apostle Paul. And let me explain why. Paul calls himself an apostle of Jesus Christ. That's the Lamb. An apostle of Jesus Christ chosen by God in Romans, in both of his letters to Corinth, in Ephesians, and Colossians, both the letters to Timothy, his letter to Titus, but the clearest example is in Galatians, and that's the one I'm going to show you right now, and I promise you this will all make sense. In Galatians, Paul says, this letter is from Paul, an apostle. Now look at how he clarifies here. I was not appointed by any group of people or any human authority, but by Jesus Christ himself and by God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. So he seems to be making a distinction there about his apostleship versus the apostleship of others. You know, there were many people that were named apostles by people in the New Testament church. Apostle means messenger. And so there were many people that were messengers and they had a very specific role, which was you're going to go out and you're going to share this message with people who've never heard it before. So there were many apostles, but there were, according to Revelation, only 12 apostles of the Lamb. And Judas was originally selected to be one of those, obviously, you know, God knew that would not end up happening. He had a different role to play. But then in, in verse 11, Paul says, dear brothers and sisters, I want you to understand that the gospel message I preach is not based on mere human reasoning. I received my message from no human source. No one taught me. Instead, I received it by direct revelation from Jesus Christ. Now, this is a big deal because Matthias did not receive all of his teaching direct from Jesus Christ because he wasn't part of the twelve. So even though he was in the fringe disciple group from the baptism of Jesus through his resurrection, and he could testify to some of those things, he was not in the inner circle where Jesus did all of his teaching. So a lot of Jesus' teaching was specific to the 12 apostles. Matthias did not experience that. 
But Paul says, I didn't get my message from a human source. I learned directly from Jesus Christ. He chose me directly, not any human group. He taught me directly. And so this is a different kind of apostle than the apostles Paul is distinguishing himself from. Then you get to chapter two. He says, for the same God who worked through Peter as the apostle to the Jews also works through me as the apostle to the Gentiles. And here he's putting himself on par with Peter. He's saying this is an apostle of Jesus Christ whose goal was to reach the Jews. And I am an apostle of Jesus Christ chosen by him, taught directly by him to reach the Gentiles. We're the same. We just have a different target audience. And that's very interesting to me because it sure seems like Paul is making a claim here that he is really that 12th apostle of the lamb. Was it a big deal to him to go around telling this to everybody? I don't think so. I think he needed to defend himself to the Galatians probably because of some things that people were saying about him. But it certainly seems to me like Paul is saying, I'm on a different level authority wise and selection wise and mission wise as an apostle. I'm not an apostle chosen by people. I'm an apostle chosen by Jesus Christ and God. And I think that's why he's the 12th apostle of the lamb. And you can disagree with me and that's okay. So who cares? Why does it even matter? Why is this important at all? I think it matters because it helps us to see that even if the apostles selection of Matthias wasn't God's selection for the 12th apostle, it wasn't a bad thing what they did. And God still accomplished his purposes by the apostles doing this thing that they thought was good and searching the scriptures and praying about it. And with the community selecting a replacement from Judas, who at that point right there with them would start ministering in Judas's place. Was that a bad thing? No, it wasn't. In fact, church tradition tells us that Matthias served the church faithfully and even died a martyr because he was strong in his faith. But you never hear about Matthias again in the New Testament. Not a word. He was probably a wonderful leader in the church. And it wasn't a bad thing. And they probably called him apostle. And he was a messenger, a witness of Jesus' resurrection. Paul said there were over 500 of them that witnessed Jesus' resurrection. And that was great. That was wonderful. But here's the thing. God had something else in mind, someone else in mind, that was so far outside the box, they couldn't have even dreamed it. You mean that guy that goes around killing Christians? That's the one you want to be the replacement for Judas? The guy who betrayed Jesus is, is now going to be replaced and represented. His place will be taken by someone who is a killer of Christians. That's amazing. That's transformative. That's redemptive. That is so far beyond anything we could imagine. I think that's probably what God was up to. And if that's the case, what it shows me is this. I can be faced with a difficult choice in foggy conditions where I don't know what to choose. And I can pray about it and I can seek scriptural, scriptural principles and I can seek wise counsel and then I can make a decision. And I don't have to worry that I'm thwarting God's plan. You ever feel that way? Like, oh, I got to be careful what I do here because I don't know what God wants me to do. And you pray about it and God doesn't give you clear direction. And I think if we follow their example, the example of the apostles, the example of the apostle Paul, we see sometimes we just have to take a step. A lot of times in life, there are good things that we get to choose between. And we know we've got to choose one. Or sometimes there are good things that we know we ought to do, like for instance, serving other people. But we don't know how to do it. We don't know which way to do it. And so we just sort of wait and sit around and wait for a voice from heaven to tell us this one, do this one. And that's not necessarily what God's going to do. Because sometimes God waits until you get halfway to Bithynia before he says, actually, I'm glad you took this path, but I've got another one for you. 
And sometimes God lets you make choices and make decisions that, that do wonderful and great things, but what he actually wants to accomplish is so far beyond your comprehension that it won't be until years later that you look back and go, oh, wow, that's how you were accomplishing your purposes. I had no idea. And that kind of understanding gives us faith and hope and confidence and assurance we're not going to mess up God's plan. Seek his wisdom in the Bible. Seek the wisdom of other people. Pray and ask for his wisdom directly. And sometimes you just have to make a choice and take a step. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, we are so thankful that we now have the blessing of your word, which is recorded for us. We have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. We have such incredible resources at our disposal to know you well and, and to be able to lean on each other for wisdom. And yet, God, we still find ourselves at times struggling to know which path should I choose. And I want to acknowledge the fact that sometimes, God, there are times where you do want us to wait and not be hasty and making a decision. But there are other times where it seems like we're just sitting on it and sitting on it and sitting on it, waiting for some voice from heaven when really we just need to step out in faith and trust that you will redirect us along the way, God. And I know that this kind of message can apply to many different people in many different ways. But I pray that you and your spirit would take it and use it to, to touch and apply to the areas where it's relevant today, God. That you would help us to be people of action and people of faith. People who don't just sit around consuming entertainment for our own sake but who get out there and seek to do good in your name. And maybe sometimes we'll go down a path that's not your ultimate path for us, but, it, but you use it for a time to grow us or to reach people or to do something good. And what you have in store for us, we may not even understand. Sometimes I think it'd be better if you just, or, or nicer if you just gave us the roadmap. But then I know if we had the roadmap to our life, there'd be, there'd be stops of pain on there that, that we would then try to avoid. And sometimes those stops of pain are the most formative for us and we learn so much from them so God we thank you that that the dates and times are for you to know and what we need to do is seek you in your word and seek your spirit and your wisdom and seek counsel with other believers and then make wise choices and I pray that you would help us to do that Lord help us to not be paralyzed by choice but to be people who are constantly moving forward for you and trusting always trusting you that you will redirect us wherever you want us to go help us to be that kind of church and in Jesus' name we pray.